Hey, this is Boris Kojo. My name is Adrian Marie Brown. I am Karamo. I am one of the hosts on Netflix's Queer Eye. My name is Kulapi Lysak. And this is Truth Be Told. Hey, everybody. This is Tanya Mosley, the host of Truth Be Told. I have a question for you. How many times have you done the dance this week? <laughs> you know, somebody asks you how you're doing and you really don't know what to say. I mean, to say, I'm doing great feels really weird with all that's happening in the world. And yet you're probably sustaining right now because you have some joy in your life. This week, we're revisiting our very first episode about finding joy when the world is burning. Because the reality is, now more than ever, we're still searching for the answers. Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. told. Dear Truth Be Told. I really need your help. I need your help. I need your help. I'm Muslim. I'm a woman. I'm brown. The world is not safe for people like me to walk through it. Our question this week comes from Seema Yasmin. Seema has seen a lot. I'm a doctor, so I've seen suffering very real. I've had people die in my arms. I can't always be optimistic because I know how things end often. She's also consumed by the vitriol and devastation she sees on her Twitter and news feeds. But despite this suffering, Seema has actually found joy. She is living her best life. I was just in the car with my friend the other day, filling him in and giving him an update on my life and how happy I am and book deals and all these amazing things. And then I was like, wait, is it okay that I'm happy? And that's where she feels conflicted. Dear Truth Be Told, I am Seema Yasmin. And my question is, is it okay to feel huge, phenomenal, amazing joy when it seems like the rest of the world is burning? So many of us feel this way, including me. Not just, is it okay, but how to feel joy when there's so much chaos in the world. To answer that, I knew I had to go to the place where I first felt joy, a place that has always been burning. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Detroit, Michigan, where the local time is 3.06. Home. Detroit. Motown, the motor city capital of the world. This city is the epicenter of pleasure in the midst of turmoil, my hometown. Even with all that it's gone through, it is still a joyous city. I mean, I've lived in seven states, but nowhere but Detroit can I run across two guys who just met each other, jamming out on their trumpets in the parking lot of a Starbucks. Joy? Oh my God. I cannot live without joy. That's Detroiter Kevin Jackson. Uh, Just breathing the fresh air. Um, Meeting good people like Glenn right here. Happiness. Yes, love. Uh, Ooh, just feeling good each and every day, you know. Kevin comes from a long line of black people who had the audacity years ago to break from the shackles of a racist and oppressed South. His people, my people, created mobility in every sense of the word through automobiles, home ownership, and culture. It was vibrant, black, very poor. Like my grandmother, Ernestine Mosley. She and my grandpa migrated from Mississippi to the D when my grandma was 17 years old. This summer, she'll be 94. I was just like a kid in a candy store. 
I I had never in my life seen so many lights and it was just beautiful. Her enthusiasm for the city was contagious. In her home, it has always been a place of refuge. My grandma's cooking and baking, that's her top talent, hands down. You know, I baked everybody in my family's house a birthday cake from the time they were born. German chocolate cake was my favorite. But my grandma has also been here for the city's lows. The 1968 riots, the loss of the automobile industry and the jobs that went with them, the rise in crime, the city's bankruptcy. In spite of it all, my grandma is still joyful, still has unspeakable joy. I don't think I've ever really seen her in despair. You know, there's a difference between joy and happiness, you know. What's Uh, the difference? Well, happiness spurts. I'm happy right now. I'm just happy to see you. That's different from joy, the joy. The joy is in your heart, and it stays with you. Which takes us back to our question, from our question asker. There's so much conflict, because how dare I, how can I be full of joy? It is conflicting. Wow. (laughs) There's There's a big... That's a big question, isn't it? And yet it's so easy. I get joy out of helping people, doing. That's where my joy comes in. Uh, My joy comes in when I can talk to someone and lift their spirits, you know. If, If I can say something, to make them feel better. Or if I can do some little something for them to help them. In spite of everything in the world, it's still beautiful. There's a beautiful world we got here. And we got to change it. We have to get out there and roll up our sleeves and do what we can to help people because in helping somebody else, you help yourself twice as much. I came to Detroit to seek answers not only from my grandmother, but also someone who has made the practice of teaching about joy and pleasure her life's work. My name is Adrienne Marie Brown, and I am (laughs) the author of Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good, and I live in Detroit, and I'm really, really, really a pleasure goddess. And what exactly is a pleasure goddess? So a huge portion of the pleasure activism concept for me is about reclaiming, saying like, so much grief and harm and abuse and terror have come to us as people of color, as women, as oppressed and marginalized people. And we have to balance that out and reclaim our right to joy and pleasure, right? Like if you have privilege, you get to go have massages and have a hot tub and have a lot of space. And like, if you have money, you have time for sexual explorations and traveling for fun and all this kind of stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, you heard that right. We went from grandma to sex. And if you don't, you're supposed to just be happy with a simple life and just work, right? And I'm like, that's bullshit. Adrian Marie Brown lives about 10 miles away from my grandmother in downtown Detroit, the Cass Corridor. It's a neighborhood that was once known as The Cut. It's now kind of trendy. Did you know this is my hometown? Yeah, so I'm from here. Okay, can I just say, one of yes. my favorite things about Detroit is whenever I meet a black person who's not currently living here, they're like, here's what I did, or here's where my family lives. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes. Yes, it's yeah. really blackamericacentral.com. It is, it is. Even though there is a half-century age difference between Adrian and my grandmother, they share similar wisdom. There's a certain amount of joy in improving yourself, you know. I'm taking baths, I'm thinking oh, thoughts, yeah. I'm writing books, I'm watching shows, I'm getting high, I'm cooking, I'm doing some yoga. Adrian Marie's house feels like an oasis. Pink and blue scarves drape her dining room windows. Where would you like to sit down to? Let's lounge. That's Let's where you want to go, Tanya. We get cozy on the couch with our tea. We've got everything. And I pose the big question. Is it okay to feel joy mm. when the world is burning? Uh-huh. And how do I feel joy uh-huh. when the world is burning? Ooh. And reading so much of your work. Yeah. Just That's felt like, like I think about this all the time. I mean, what did you answer? What do you feel the answer is? That's the question for you. Oh. <laughs> That's what we traveled like, all what? this way. So I feel like this has been my, for a long time, it was kind of like my secret discovery was, oh, I still, like, I still need to feel good every day, right? Like to feel joy, feel connection. And like, because I think it's good to like break down, you know, when I say like, what is pleasure even? You know, it's like satisfaction, contentment, joy. It's not, you know, 24 orgasms in a 24-hour period. Although that is possible it for is. people. And if that's your bag, you should definitely do it. And I think all women should do it at least once because our bodies can do that. Yeah, It's kind of wild what we can do. But <laughs> I distracted myself. So... The assumption inside that question is that joy is extraneous, that joy is something to the side of life, that joy is um, something that you have to earn yeah. or, you know, just something yep. over here. Poet Audre Lorde wrote about this in Uses of the Erotic. It's one of Adrian's favorite books. She quotes it heavily in her own work. The fear of our desires keeps them suspect and indiscriminately powerful. Adrian is especially drawn to Lorde's idea that when we're afraid or suppress our desires, they hold power over us and make us weak. What she kind of, she flips that upside down and she's just like, no, joy is our birthright. Pleasure is our birthright. Feeling our erotic aliveness, that is all ours. And it's oppression and marginalization and years of abuse that have made us believe otherwise. And once we reclaim it, it will no longer settle for suffering. So it's like, it's actually not just oh, is it okay to have a little or should I keep my eyes on the prize? It's like, in order to keep your eyes on the prize, you need to be fully experiencing your alive, erotic self. Yes. Right? right? So what I'm hearing from you mm-hmm. is that first you just have to take the moment, though, to get to know yourself and to understand and awaken yourself exactly. so you can hear those messages that so your So here it is, is right? You. If I was to say step by step, first you have to get to know yourself The more you know yourself, the more you'll know what it is you're actually supposed to be up to in the world, right? 
you'll be able to hear like, what is the calling? Because I really do think that a lot of conflict comes from people being in the wrong place, that they're not responding to their actual calling and then they're miserable. And I think misery begets misery begets misery. I think that a ton of people now are like starting wars, maintaining wars and having a basically um, a conflict approach to all life because they have an inner misery. They don't know themselves. There's no center and peace and pleasure in their lives. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is this other concept I've talked about of attention liberation is like, how do you actually take your attention away from things where you can't change it? And it doesn't, it doesn't actually help (laughs) to pay attention to it. And how do you start to bring your attention to things that do help? So I'll say one, one area where pleasure activism has been happening for me is I will take my, when someone's telling me the news, I take my attention off of just like whatever the Happened. news is. Yeah. I would bring my attention immediately to who is working on the solutions. Mm. And it brings me so much pleasure to see what oh. humans do to work on the solutions. And that's where I want to pay attention to. So say if there was a shooting or yes, something. Yes, right. Happened, so there's a about- shooting. Like the Parkland shooting is yes. a great example of this, right? There's this tragedy. There's a huge amount of grief that's going to happen. There's nothing that I will be able to do about that piece of it. There is stuff that I can do around gun lobbying. There Mm. is stuff that I can do to support the young people who are now stepping forward to be incredibly coherent leaders around gun violence, right? Bringing my attention to that, even though it doesn't, it's like, is that pleasurable? No, right? It's like, this is a hard situation. But because I have access to pleasure, I have access to what my attention wants to go towards, then I'm able to feel in myself there's no usefulness in me just paying it and just regurgitating the same stats about gun violence. Yeah. There's usefulness for me bringing the light beam of my attention over to what these folks, these young people are doing for solutions and bringing other people's attention there. This idea of attention liberation, it doesn't just work for our shared communal tragedies, but for our personal ones too. Grandma, you've been through a lot. Oh, yeah. You've lost two children. Yes. And so sometimes I think if my grandma can still like laugh Mm. and have joy, (laughs) what is that? The burden gets heavy. Just like you have the scars and you have wounds, the bruises, but God takes you through it, you know, that times when I thought I could never laugh again, you know, and I have like a, a brick in my chest, it wouldn't go away. It was just every day, it was just heavy, just heavy. And I, but I still have responsibilities. And I still love the Lord through it all. And uh, it will never go away, but it will ease, God eases. God gives me that joy that I can't explain. It makes it possible to to live through it. It makes you stronger. And with this, my grandmother chooses to liberate her attention by focusing on all the beautiful things that God has created. 
You find him in the whole world. You look, you look at the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees and the grass and everything that you can see. There's God, and especially man. Another, I'm looking at God right now when I look in your face. Up next, what else are you devoting your attention to, and how might it be robbing you of joy? Plus, when was the last time you walked around the house naked? Adrienne Marie shares why all of us should practice this ritual of self-love when we return. Your attention is the gift. It can be the curse, but it is the, you know, life animates you and then you are giving your attention. And so what you give it to is what you grow in your life, right? So if you give it to tyranny, if you give it to bullshit, if you give it to gossip and complaining, if you give it to tearing other humans down, mm. um, if you give it to petty thoughts, if you give it to horrible self-thinking, yep. if you give it to a miserable job, right? That's what you will grow, that right? You'll grow. you know, the job is a great me- a great way to understand this. It's like, you might be like, I hate this job, yeah. but you show up every day, you grow the skill sets of that job, and then that becomes the path Some that you stuff. can escalate mm-hmm. along. So I'm like, if you hate that job, you better get out of it as soon as you can, because you're going to keep going on that path. Yeah. You need to get yourself on another path. Well, if, how you do know? you do the work though? Like, yeah. I know you're not a therapist <laughs> and we can't be here all night, but like, yeah, how? if you were like to say to someone, okay, you yeah. have listened to this tonight, you're listening to it. And here's Mm. your first step I want you to take. Oh, that's good. Um, I would say to do an inventory of yourself, of your life, right? Write down the places where you're like, I feel completely, deeply in alignment with myself in these areas of my life. So it might be, I feel deeply in alignment with how I am as a, as an, like for me, I'll say as an auntie, I'm just like, I show up as an auntie. I am super present when I'm an auntie. Like, I create, you know, I'm like, we're going on fun dates that you created. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, I feel like I'm just like, you are there. I'm the Gumby. Yes, you I'm like, are I the am one. fully available for whatever right. you want. Yes. I'm showing up. And then where are the areas where you're like, I'm actually out of alignment here. Mm. Like, I say I care about this, but I do this. Right. So I'll say years ago, I had an area like this where I was like, food justice, yes. you know, like food sovereignty, food justice. But then when I went to the airport, my lucky thing to get on the plane was a McDonald's sausage and egg muffin. muffin. Yeah. Okay? Meal number two. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> and that was my, I was like, this is my lucky thing. Yeah. And I was, so the more I was talking food justice, but then I was going and eating McDonald's eating on the, McDonald's the side. On the yeah. side when I traveled. Yes. And I had a whole justification. I was like, but it's just my lucky thing. Yeah. You know, blah, blah. But I got to a place where I was like pulling my hood up, pulling a hat on. Mm-hmm. I hope no one sees me doing this thing. And I and that shame, I was like, that's because I'm out of alignment. Out of alignment. Right. So that's a great way to know you're out of alignment is if it's something that you're like, I try to hide this from others. Yeah. I would be embarrassed if this was in my bio. What brings you joy? I get a lot of joy from from my physical body. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much like both both how, how I have come to feel about my body. So like when I walk by a mirror naked, yeah. you know, I will stop and just be like, okay, okay, we are doing the damn thing today. I yeah. love it. You look great, you yeah. know. Um, and to be there at the age of forty to feel like 
oh, I have had to reclaim and work so hard right. to unlearn all this bullshit that people told me about my miraculous body. Yeah. Like I just have had to do so much work. And so the joy is in relationship to that work, right? It's like, this didn't just come. It wasn't like everyone was affirming me my whole life. Yeah. And then I was like, oh yeah, it, I am great. It was the opposite. You know, as people were telling me all the time how I needed to change my body and I still found a way to Can love I tell it. you something? So, okay. Yeah. So reading pleasure activism yes. and reading all of this and mm-hmm. you, your steps yes. to this, I literally had to keep looking up. Like I would read a few lines <laughs> and then I'd have to look up and think. And then I actually turned to my husband and I said, she's telling me to walk around naked. <laughs> your husband was she's, like, yay. He was. He was like, he's like, I'm down for that. I was like, but she's telling me to look at myself in the mirror and like, find yes. parts of myself and take pictures of myself. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that <laughs> I, there was just this one moment mm-hmm. where I had, and I felt so joy for me is like freedom. Yes. And there was just this second of That's freedom that I actually felt yes. now getting there is a process. Like you said, it's, it's a process. work. It is and now I've got to practice it. It's practice. Yes. That That's what just makes a, it work. Yes. Right. Yeah. So then taking that, being naked in the ocean mm. and just feeling the waves, you know, it's like this other level of sensation. Mm-hmm. I feel so much joy with the sun or with water on me where I'm just like, I want to love myself the same way the sun does. The yeah. sun does not choose some parts that it thinks are great. The sun is just like, if I can touch it, I can nourish it. Right. I will warm you up. It's going to be so good, right? <laughs> and the water is the same way. It's not, you know, there's no judgment. There's no withholding. But then I withhold from myself affection or I, I say this part is good, but not that part. Yeah. yeah. I also get a lot of joy from being alone. Yeah. Like, oh, I love it so much. And I love it the Every day as I age, I enjoy it more and more, right? You know, my grandma said the same thing. In my older age, I like to be alone. Sometimes it's just meditation. I can meditate for, oh my goodness. I can just meditate from now At the core of our question, <laughs> yeah, and our question asked her is yeah. guilt. Yeah, she's oh. saying, "Is it okay to feel is it joy?" Okay, because she's already feeling it. Right. Yeah, I think it's not just okay, but absolutely necessary to feel joy in these moments. And I think if you look at people who have actually survived apocalypse and genocide, laughter, intimacy, and connection finding ways to be generous with each other, even in conditions where it looks like we have nothing. Those are always, always, always the ways that we have made it through apocalypse. And those are always the ways that we have felt like, oh, like my goal is not to assimilate into those people who genocided me or took over something. My goal is to continue maintaining this community and this culture and this family. Humor keeps us humble, it keeps us connected to each other and it helps us move through these moments. Nothing, if we couldn't laugh, we would not make it. Right. Right? We would not make it. And the other thing I want to juxtapose into this is Bobby Sands, who is the one of the hunger strikers for the, the IRA prisoners, 
one of the things he says in one of his poems is, um, our revenge will be the laughter of our children. Oh. Our revenge will be the laughter of our children, oh. right? So to me, that quote holds it all, right? It's like, yes, harm, suffering, all of this has happened to us, but we transmute that harm into something else. And so what we offer to the next generation is something healed. <laughs> Your laughter is important. Your joy is important. It's not a guilty pleasure, right? It's actually like a a strategic move towards the future that we all need to create. The one in which our children are laughing. Our children are free. Our children can go wherever they need to go. There's no borders that hold them, right? That's what we're, I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's what we're, it makes me cry too, but it's like, that's what I'm fighting for. That's what I'm living for. And that's what I'm loving for. That's why pleasure to me is like freedom freedom journey, you know? And I think it also is throughout space and time. You know, like in my imagination, I go back and make sure that Harriet Tubman was getting her feet rubbed. You know what I'm saying? Like we just have to think about it as what we do to ourselves now. Actually think of your body as this conduit across space and time. Yeah. So that you can, by healing the present body, you can heal back. Yeah. And then you're healing forward. And I love that idea too, that I'm just like, My grandmother, I don't know if she ever got her feet rubbed. Yeah. She should have. She should have. It's funny Adrian says that. My mom and aunts give my grandma weekly foot massages. We say it's to keep the circulation going in her feet. And it's that. But it's also an act of gratitude. A thank you through touch. An act of love. You know, this morning I woke up trying to sing. The day I visited my grandmother... She woke up with a song in her head. I can't sing anymore, but I still love to sing, to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe. I know that song. Do you know that song? Yep. I woke up this morning singing that song, and I was just... I was all caught up in that song because I said, oh, wouldn't this be a beautiful world if everybody felt that way? Oh, I'm going to go out. I'm going to conquer the world. I'm going to make it happen. Still strong with the last ounce of courage to fight the unbeatable foe. (laughs) It was terrible. Oh, my gosh. I still get teary-eyed when I hear my grandmother sing. And, you know, with everything going on right now, I wanted to check back in with her because, you know, she lives in Detroit, one of the places hardest hit by COVID-19. And for the first few weeks of the protests, my grandma was in tears, mourning the death of George Floyd. She's seen a lot of George Floyd's die in her life. We got on the phone to talk about this moment. Tanya, I've shed quite a few tears. And uh, I remember my parents, I used to see my mother crying. And I couldn't understand what it was all about. But now I guess I've taken her place since I've gotten older. 
I think the world is reaching out now for help. These are some tragic times. And we're in a lockdown. It's so sad. We have to cry sometimes. But then there is a time when we have to stop crying and pick up the reins again and uh, and get a little joy in between. I do feel hopeful, and I do feel that the marching is going to help. We we can already see some some of the laws are being passed, and uh, I know that there's going to be more. There has to be a change. We have to look forward to a better world in a better place. And in order to have a better world, that means we have to be willing to work for it. And like you, you work so hard and you give so much of yourself. And you're thinking about your children having to fight the same battle over again once they grow up and and take up where you left off. But, you know, that's, that's life in this world. Hmm. And it, it can be so much good. It can be, it can be a challenge and yet you can feel good when the day is done because you know that you did all you could do. There's something about that joy that keeps me. That's the foundation of my life, you know, that that joy that lives inside of me, that my mother and daddy taught me when when I was young, when things were hard, when when I only had one pair of shoes to wear. We made it and and we made it through with uh, loving one another, helping one another, our neighbors. All we had was each other, and so we made it through the hard times. So it's it's a wonderful thing, you know. There's pleasure. God fixed it so, so we wouldn't have to be sad and unhappy all the time. We had a lot of good times. It, it, it seems like we're going backwards. Uh, our president wants it to go backwards, I think. But we can't go back. We have to go forward. We can't relive yesterday. Today is our day. Tomorrow 
will be somebody else's day. Today is our day. I just can't stop thinking about that. And I hope that stays and resonates with you, too. Thank you so much, Grandma. On our next episode of Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told, I've been really hurt by friends in the past, so I've found myself being distant and careful around folks who want to be closer to me. How do I get over this and be more open and available to cultivate new and deeper friendships? We're talking about friendships, how to keep them strong, when to let them go, and how to have better ones with the hosts of Call Your Girlfriend. That's next time on Truth Be Told. Oh, oh yeah, and also... We'd love for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Our goal is to get to a thousand reviews so others can find us and so we can hear what you think about the show. Please. (laughs) Truth Be Told is produced by Susie Racho, Issa Mendoza, and Katie McMurrin. The original version of this episode was produced by Christina Kim and edited by Sandia Dirks, with sound design from Enrico Benjamin. KQED's leadership team includes Erica Aguilar, Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. And a big thanks to Kiana Mogadam. Truth Be Told is a production of KQED in San Francisco. I'm Tanya Mosley. 